his message uh, is exactly on what we just saw demonstrated here. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18? I want to welcome you all here today and uh, invite you to check out our website throughout the week, metropraise.org, just so you can get 24-7 Jesus and Metro Praise all the time. And if you ever, you ever get bored at work and you don't get in trouble for it, just put us on. And I think right now I've got close to about 30 hours worth of sermons. So <laughs> if you can take it, we can get it. And just send them to your friends and everything. It's like, what makes a better Christmas present than a link to a Metro Praise message? Amen. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 4, if you're there, can you say I'm there? What we are doing is going through the entire life of Jesus and uh, going in the book of Matthew. And hopefully some of you are reading ahead. How many are reading the book of Matthew? Can I hear you say amen? Okay, now don't give up. Keep reading. Keep with it. And everyone that hasn't started reading, I encourage you to read the book of Matthew because what we are learning on Sunday mornings is the life of Jesus. I'm not going to make up stories. I'm not going to tell you what I think. I'm going to tell you exactly what Jesus said. And we're going to read it for ourselves, and you can see it. And the thing with our youth, the beautiful thing, is we're talking about the book of John. And those messages are encouraging as well. So right now, for the next few months or years, however long it takes, you can listen to the entire book of John for the youth and the entire book of Matthew for the adults because I think it's time that we know what Jesus talked about. Amen? I mean, there's so much confusion right now on who Jesus was. What did he do? Did he say it was okay for, for men to love other men and, and, and be homosexual? Did he say it was okay for us to abort our children and the things of this culture? I want you to hear what he said. Amen? Did he say it was okay for pastors to start writing books and becoming millionaires because they tell lies i want you to hear what this man said and what you're going to find out is that he's very kind and loving when sometimes people would be harsh you're going to find out he's very kind in situations where a lot of times people would be very harsh but at the same time you're also going to find out he's very serious and he's very to the point when some people think he would be easy and kind of wavering he's very solid amen now let's go to jesus and his disciples so exciting today this is the jesus picking his first disciples as jesus was walking beside the sea of galilee he saw two brothers simon called peter and his brother andrew they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen come follow me jesus said and i will make you fishers of men at once they left their nets and followed him the very first thing he tells the first disciples is hey come follow me and i'm going to make you a fisher of men why did the church ever become a place where we just sit back and relax? How did this thing ever become the love boat? This is not supposed to be the love boat. Just fall in love with Jesus. Just, just you know, coasting through life. This is a battleship. This is the work of the ministry. We are to do something here. Amen? You see what Jesus said to his first disciples? That will define his relationship with them for the next three years. Here's the deal, fellas. I want you to follow me and I want you to become fishers of men. If anybody in this place has it confused, look again. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. There is no doubt nor confusion in what he is saying there. Every single believer is called to go out and preach the gospel. Amen? 
And we're talking about today the books and the elders and all this. All we're trying to do is help make that vision come to pass. I will give whatever resources I have to do to do that. I'll tell you this right here. I'll even prevent myself from becoming the superstar of the church because some people will find a good pastor. Oh, pastor can preach good. That's why we go there on Sunday. And the crowds will fill up because pastor's a good preacher. Maybe he's energetic. Maybe he's very smart. Maybe he's funny and everybody comes for the pastor. No, I will refrain from that so that you will see it's not about me here on Sunday. It's about you on Monday serving God. Amen. It's not about, oh, I got a good pastor. Oh, he sells tapes and books and he's my hero. No, 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 no. I want you to go out and serve God. Amen? So there's not going to be any big chair up here for the pastor and little doilies with grape juice. I sit here and people bring up my Bible. I can carry my own Bible. What I need you to do is get a hold of God, let Him change and rock your life, and go out there and be a fisher of men because the world needs us. If you look at Jesus, just look at Jesus. Man, he said, I didn't even come to be served. I came to serve. Jesus wasn't walking around handing his keys, saying, hey, somebody pull up my car here and get my dry cleaning for me. You know, i got to get my manicure done. Like, I can't even believe pastors do this nonsense. But I'll tell on us right now because I'm about ready to come to you next, okay? But I'm going to start with the pastors first. You see, we made it all about the one-man show. This ain't a one-man show getting manicures and driving cars and, and looking all pretty. You know what that's like doing? That is like showing up to a banquet and there not being any food in the house but everything looks pretty and you sitting there starving Jesus said there's got to be meat in the house and that comes from you and you and you knowing the word of God it's not just me coming it's like me coming it's like everybody coming to church and me just sitting here eating the food in front of you and everybody in the banquet no food in the house but I'm just going to eat because I got it good pastor's good That's not how it was meant to be. You need to know the Word. You need to know what God said. All I'm here to do, Ephesians chapter 2, is equip you for ministry. Jesus said, boys, it's about ready to get down with the get down. Y'all going to leave your fishing jobs? Follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Because you won't feel comfortable staying where you are. Now look at the next one, verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. That's a disciple right there. What I want you to see today is that when Jesus said, I'm starting a ministry, and I'm going to change this world, how did he start? He said he's going to get 12 people. Jesus did not start having big crusades. Jesus did not start a TV ministry. He didn't start writing books on prosperity and your best life now and how to get rich quick in three ways or less in 1295. And he, what he did was say, I'm going to get 12 people around me. And you know what I love about Jesus? Is that he just got ordinary people. He didn't just go to the, the synagogues and find out who's acing in seminary. He went to the shores of Galilee and found fishermen. You know what that says? Is there's a place for you and there's a place for you and there's a place for me. Because God is not playing games of religion. And who has the biggest hat and the biggest cane and who can pray the loudest. He's looking for people that want to follow him. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready to follow Jesus. I want you to look at the 12 men that followed him. You just learned about Peter and Andrew. They were brothers. They came from the shores of Galilee as fishermen. James and John were brothers, also fishermen, younger than uh, Peter and Andrew. See, here's how you learn stuff when you read the Bible. You see, 
Peter and Andrew had their own boat. So that means they were older. They were in their own business. But look at James and John. Who were they with? Their dad, you see, so they were younger. So you can learn that. See, John was the youngest apostle that got chosen. You know how old John was, teenagers? How old was he? Sixteen years old. I want you to know God does not even discriminate with age. Imagine, come on, all of the teenagers and those who have children here, imagine your, your kids just working for you. David, you know, your kids handing out flyers or working in your business, you know, building a, a you know, a, a wall and, a, you know, construction or something. And all of a sudden a man says, hey, I want your kids to leave you. Come follow me because I'm going to make them disciples. You want to talk about radical, man. That's radical. Jesus didn't do that walking on water, by the way. He didn't have a halo around his head. See, when Jesus came, he came with the word and the anointing. You had to have faith in God that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. It took trust. It took faith. It took a bold lifestyle to get out of your parents' house and start moving with God. Peter and Andrew, fishermen. James and John, fishermen. We learn about Philip. Don't know much about him, but he's friends with James and uh, he's friends with James and John. They get Philip. Then Philip go gets his friend Nathaniel. Matthew was a tax collector. We know that he was older because he had a had a prestigious job, had been working it for a while. So he was probably in his 40s or 50s. So that's probably one of the older men that he picks. Thomas don't know much about him, but he struggled with doubting. James was a man that we probably know the least about. Thaddeus, also known as Judas, is another Judas, and he's the one that talks with Jesus in John 14 about the Father's kingdom and all those things. Simon the Zealot, the word Simon the Zealot means Simon the Revolutionary. They, at the time of Jesus, were oppressed Jewish people by the Roman Empire, and Simon was a part of the Revolutionary Army. So Jesus picked him to be with him, and then Judas Iscariot had something to do with money because he ended up being Jesus' bookie or his uh, accountant holding on to his money, but we know he stole it. Amen? So look at all this right here. you got fishermen. you got young people. You've got tax collectors. You've got a revolutionary. And Jesus says, I'm going to use each and every one of you. See, Jesus said, I'm going to change the world with 12. Why does the church think we're going to do it any other way? We're not going to change the world with our programs. We're not going to change the community just because we all showed up here today. We've got to do just what Jesus did. Here is the life application for you today. It's not hard, and I don't want to say it's sarcastic or belittling, but here it is. Be a disciple. Follow Jesus. If he could pick a fisherman, a revolutionary, and a tax collector, and all these other people, he can use you and me. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready to be a disciple. That's the message. Now, I want you to see in your Bible some words that we're familiar with. The first one is believer. It means to believe in Christ, to be born again by faith in Jesus. It's not a bad word. It's just only used two times in the Bible. So two times in the Bible, people said they were believers. Oh, I believe. Now, today in the American culture, the word believer is actually a bad thing now. Let me explain to you what I mean. When I've been to the 10 Mardi Gras that I've been to preaching the gospel, guess what? Nine out of 10 people holding beers, asking women to flash, believe in God. Hello? How many know your coworker that's cussing, getting upset tomorrow, believes in God? Hello, are you all listening to me? It gets quiet when I preach like this. But you see, in America, we can wear crosses, believe in God, and it means absolutely nothing. So I want you to know something. God is not just, you know, coming to you going, 
do you believe in me? And, and then you're like, yes, I do, Jesus. He's like, goody, because I just wanted people to believe in me. I just, I'm so alone up here in heaven, and I just I needed your affirmation. Do you believe? I believe. Okay, thank you. No, Jesus is not some insecure deity up in heaven just waiting for you to believe in him, to affirm who he is. The fact of believing is for your sake of salvation. Believing that not only does he exist, but he died on the cross, came to die for your sins so that you could be born again and live a purpose-filled life for him. So if you're ever going to use the word, I'm a believer, make it more than just I'm a believer in Abraham Lincoln or some historical figure. Make it that you believe that God came and died, rose again, and has changed your life, and you believe all things are possible through him. Amen? Now the second word that we see in the Bible is Christian. Nothing wrong with Christian. The way it's developed is Christ means anointed one. I-A-N at the end means like. You could say a Chicago in. You are like somebody living in Chicago. Hello, that's a, just a little thing there in English. So Christian, Christ-like, means to be like Christ. But does that mean that in America today? Do people understand that you really like Christ and you say you're a Christian? Hello. No, they don't. They don't think anything. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Lutheran. I've been baptized. I sing in the choir. That doesn't mean anything. You see, because we could take a dog up here and baptize it and give it some wafers to eat, and then we could put a church membership thing in its hand in a row, and guess what? When we let go of it, what's it still? It's still a dog. That didn't change anything. And you can come up here. You can sing. We can baptize you. You can check off on your taxes. I'm a Christian. And, you know, you can tell people in your church, I celebrate, uh, in your job, I celebrate Christmas. That does not make you a true Christian. A Christian is Christ-like. You know who gave those names Christian to people? It wasn't Christians. It was the people of Antioch in the book of Acts. They began seeing people feed the poor. And they said, who do we just see doing that? Well, I think. Didn't Jesus Christ do that? Man, these people are like Christ. They're, they're Christians. It's all people over here preaching the gospel, living holy. Man, who does that remind you of, honey? Does that remind you of that Jesus we used to see in Galilee? Yeah, I mean, those people are Christians. You see, the people of the community, read Acts, they gave the people that name. Man, if you've got to tell somebody what you are and they can't tell what you are, it's already wrong. You've got, you and I, if we're going to use that name, let it be used because they can see it in our lives. Amen? But watch this. Believers used two times in the Bible. Christian is used three times in the Bible. But the word disciple is used 259 times. means to live like Christ, be trained like Christ. The word disciple is where we get the word discipline from to be disciplined to live like Christ. Now let me ask you something. Who do you think God wants you to be? You think He wants you just to play, make, believe, and believe in a religion? Or do you think He wants you to be a world changer and a generation shaker? He wants us to be disciples. Woo! That's the Bible. Somebody say, just preach it, Pastor. I'm just here to talk about the Bible. Is that all right? I forgot my jokes at home today. I left them at home. I just came with the Bible. Amen. That's what the Bible teaches us 259 times. Be a disciple. He called his disciples. This is what disciple does. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Jesus came to make disciples. Matthew 28, verse 19. It says he spoke to his disciples. Go into all the world and now make disciples. Amen. We came to do that. Now, I want you to see what three things every disciple did. Not only in the Bible, which we're going to see, but disciples all throughout history. 
whether they're disciples in Romania, whether they were disciples in the Dark Ages fighting against the Catholic Church being burned at stake at the stake because they wanted to put the Bible in the English language, or whether it was Peter himself, three things every disciple has done, including myself. Here it is. Number one, left everything to follow Jesus. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have got to put God first above everything. Number two, they were trained to live like Jesus. They were not just walking one day, oh, oh, I'm a disciple. No, they had to be trained. They had to be disciplined. They had to be corrected. They had good days where Jesus was like, high five, you got it. And then they had bad days where Jesus was like to Peter, Satan, get behind me. Jesus called Peter Satan. So there were days when the discipling was fun and, and, hey, we get to raise the dead today. Then there's another day he's being called Satan. You can just imagine what it was like being trained by Jesus. But he loved them. Everybody say trained. And then now the third thing, they were sent out. Every single disciple gets sent out. There is no such thing as a disciple that doesn't make disciples. That doesn't make any sense. It's like a, it's like a circle square. That's the opposite. You can't be a circle square. Are you all listening? And there's no such thing as a disciple that doesn't make disciples. And I hope right now this is provoking some of you. This is getting under your skin a little bit because you're saying, man, I've been in the church and I haven't been really making disciples. Man, you better get in the vision. You better get connected to Jesus, forsake all others. Get trained to live like Jesus and say, send me out. Amen? Now, guess what this looks like when you put it into the vision of our church? Connect. Mentor, send. There it is. We come to Christ and we say, God, I'm connecting to you. The moment that the lamp plug goes into the socket, the light turns on. It doesn't have to make itself turn on. It's made to turn on once it's connected. Listen, everybody, you don't have to make yourself a better person. Just get plugged into Jesus. Just get plugged into Jesus. Maybe today you're struggling with sin and you're saying, Pastor, I'm not good enough to be a disciple. Just get plugged into Jesus. Maybe you're young right now and the professors are filling your head with the evolutionary lie. You don't understand it all. Just get plugged into Jesus. You're going to begin to start understanding the gospel. Maybe you came here shy and you don't always feel like going out and doing something. Just get plugged into Jesus and you're going to get some strength. Hello, somebody. Maybe you came here busted and disgusted all messed up, tore up from the floor up, hello, and you don't think you could ever change. Just get plugged into Jesus and He'll turn your life around. Look at your neighbor and say, get plugged into Jesus. I'm excited today. Y'all come to have some church, amen? And then once we're plugged into Jesus, now it's flowing. Now You see, I'm not saved because I'm a disciple. I'm not saved because we do good works. No, I'm just saved because I plugged into Jesus. I repented of my sins. I was born again. It, it happens in a moment. You don't have to spend your whole lifetime getting born again. Just get born again and plug into Jesus. You take one step to Him and take the rest of the steps with Him. Amen? Everybody thinks they're taking 20 steps to Him. Man, just take one step to Him. And then the rest of your life, walk with them, because now being mentored is just every day. Now, really, this process never ends. But understanding that you're supposed to go out and help others, there is a time where your inward introspection begins to get more towards outward uh, giving out of what others need. You see, you and I could always come to church and go, this is what I need. I know I'm struggling in this area. I'm not perfect in this. And we can get so introspective that we then become almost depressed. 
And I've seen people in the church, it's like they become so introspective that they never even believe actually that God intends to send them out. It's, it's like the person getting his hair cut, and then he comes back two hours later, and he says, cut my hair again, there's this one piece out of order, and then he comes back again, no, there's one other piece. It's like, man, your hair's cut, go out, you're fine. And what's happened in the church is like, well, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. And I want to tell you, the devil then can take the commands of God and whoop you on the head with them. You need to get to the place, not where we just let anything go. There is order. But you need to get to the place where you can actually believe mentoring is for a purpose of going out. Amen? And that brings us to the last thing. We now share the cross with others. Number one, we connect to the cross. Number two, we learn about the cross. Number three, we go out and share the cross. Are you all ready to learn about that? Can you say amen? Now, I want you to see point number one. They left everything to follow Jesus. Here's the example that we learned in Matthew. Peter and his brother Andrew, at once they left their nets and followed him. When it came to following Jesus, they gave up their jobs. Now, we know that at that specific time, because Jesus, God in the flesh, is on the earth, you could give up your job and walk with Jesus, and that would be a great thing to do. Now, I'm not asking everybody here to give up their job and come to church tomorrow at 6 in the morning because we're doing it Jesus style, okay? Can you say amen? Okay, there is a season for there was that season for Jesus. Now, you can see why it was important, because if God had come down to earth and he was going to start the church, the organization that was going to last until Armageddon, until his return, you better believe he needed to take every second of every day for those three years to prepare his disciples. And so he trained them every day. He slept with them, not with them, but next to him, okay? He slept next to them. He ate with them. He shared his life with them. And you know what? It was 24-7. And now look at the next one. Immediately when James and John followed Jesus, they left the boat and their father. Let me just tell you something right here. We may not have to get up and hand in our resignation tomorrow, but we're going to have to give up some things too. And what these people gave up was everything literally at the moment. They left their father. They left their mother. They left their job. I want to ask you a question. To be a disciple of Christ, what are you willing to leave behind? Are you willing to leave behind your friends? Are you willing to leave behind maybe something you're doing that's against the law? Are you willing to leave behind the reputation that people may not like you anymore? They say, oh, what happened to you? You're no longer who I thought you were. Are you willing to leave behind your own selfishness? You know, you and I can become so self-motivated in life that it's about my family, my job, my income, my summer break, you know, my winter vacation. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to leave that all behind? That's what a disciple did. I want you to turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Somebody say, leave it all behind. When I first got saved, leaving everything behind might have been very obvious to you and me because I was selling drugs. I lived in a house with a woman I wasn't married to. So you would say, Pastor, oh, yeah, it makes sense for you to leave behind drug dealers, right? We'd all say amen. Can you say amen? We would say, Pastor, yeah, it's right to, have, to stop having sex before marriage. We could all agree with that. Amen? But what about leaving mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters behind? What about good things? What about good things? You see, we only think when we become a Christian, we leave bad things behind. No, 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 no. How many know for, for James and John, the job was not a bad thing? James and John were not selling crack on the shores of Galilee. 
They were working with their father in a very honorable trade. They were good, hard-working young men. Their family, like in most cultures, was the most important thing to them. But they had to leave it. What are some good things you may have to leave behind? Good things. What are some of the things that right now just may be getting in the way of you serving God? It's a good thing to work. But maybe Sundays they're asking you to come in. You may have to tell them, this may be a good thing for me to make extra income, but i got to leave this behind. You may have good friends that really want to do great things in life with you. They want to spend time with family, go on vacation, but maybe your friend holds you back from coming out Saturday evangelism. They're just like, hey, let's just go out to see a movie. But you know you're supposed to share the gospel. Hello, good things can get in the way. Maybe as you start getting in the Bible class, you've come home Tuesday after work, and that's your day to meet with Rachel, and now you are tired, and we know it's a good thing to relax. It's a good thing to have a meal, kick back, soak our feet, do whatever. But now you've got to say, I've got to leave that. I've got to push that to number two because God comes number one. Are you all listening? What about prayer time? How many hours or time did you spend with the Lord this week? But yet, how many hours did you spend in front of the TV? How often did you read your Bible? And how often did you spend with the Lord? You see, you might have been doing good things this week, but you might have allowed good things to get in the way of your relationship with Christ. A disciple says, I put God first. Then I put the football game. Then I put even my family. See, it's not family than God. It is God than family. And now listen to me. If Jesus Christ was real, if heaven and hell was real, it would be worth following God even if there was no blessings on this earth. Listen to me. There is a lie coming across the Christian airwaves right now that God has to bless us to make us obedient. That is not true. If God was God, if there was a heaven and there was a hell and there was rules to live by on this earth, they would be worth following whether or not you were ever blessed and even if you suffered for it. Are you listening? We got it all twisted up. We think that God has to bribe us to have him have us follow him. It's like he's sticking out the little carrot. Okay, I'll tell you what. If uh, let me, let me see, you need your family help. To, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll fix your family if you love me. Okay, then I'll tell you what. Oh, you also need a new job. I'll tell you. What, you come to church on Sunday. I'll give you a new job. And it's like somehow we're bartering with bartering with Jesus. That is not how it works. You get up, you leave everything, and you put it in His hands. Now the good part is, is that He said He'll bless you. Matthew six thirty three says, Seek ye first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Can you say Amen? But we got to put it straight. It's God first, period. Amen? Not God first in a new job. God first and everything gets perfect in my life. No, it's God first, period. I'm trusting Him with the rest. Oh, hello. Come on, somebody. Look at Matthew 10, verse 37, leaving some things behind. Look what Jesus said. See, here would be one of those times that people would not think Jesus to be so serious. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Let's just stop right there. I think Jesus just made it real plain, didn't he? He just showed us it's not just about leaving drugs behind, leaving gossip behind. He's not just saying leave bad things behind. He's saying you put me above your mother, father, brother, sister, wife, and children. I want to tell you something. If he is God, he deserves it. And I know he's God. And I'm going to tell you something. Our life is like sand 
and you try to pick it up in your hand and it just falls through the, your hand. Listen to me. If you try to hold on to your 70 years here, you try to hold on to your family, listen to me. When you die, you lose it all anyway. You lose it anyway. I lost my sister 10 years ago. She's gone. It's over. Man is appointed to die one day. Then judgment. We're all going to die, friends. I've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. You don't get buried with your golf clubs, with your Bears t-shirt. Hello, somebody. When it's over, it's over. What Jesus is teaching us is a lesson on eternity. He's saying you can get so distracted down here where it's just about family, just about your life, and and, and just about things that you like, and you can miss eternity and why He put us here. The very first thing He said to Adam and Eve is, I put you here to have dominion over the earth and have a relationship with me. That was their purpose, to know God. Amen? And he says in 38, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a disciple. He says, this is not a Christian by the definition of America. This is not a believer. This is somebody saying, I'm willing to walk with Jesus now. And I want to tell you what. I can only tell you my stories. And I'm sure people next to you can tell you theirs. But following Jesus has been the greatest life I could ever have imagined or even asked for. When I look at my wife, I don't deserve her. I look at the women that I was with, the women that I, uh, how I treated them, and only can imagine what my family would have been like if I wouldn't have left those things behind to follow him. At one time, I was angry towards my parents. I was rebellious. I was a, I was a troubled youth. But when I put God first, my parents became my best friends. You see, God's plan is that by putting him first, you receive everything else. That's the plan. But if you put everything else first, you lose him and those things. Do you all get it? Can you say amen? I want you to turn with me now to John chapter 8, verse 31. Everybody say, connect to Jesus. Amen. Thank you. I'm having a good time this morning. God is in this house. Let's get to the second thing. John chapter 8, to be mentored to live like Jesus. Now, let me just say this right here. I don't know why Jesus chose men and women to be the ones who make disciples. Because I can tell you what, in being a person who makes disciples, I get judged more than I've ever been judged in my whole life. It would be, everyone look up at me when you get the scripture, please. It would be easier for me, listen to this pastor. To go on the road and do what they do, make money, be big. I don't have anything against being big and money and all that. But I'm just talking about losing the focus of discipleship and just preaching just to preach. It would be easier to do that because the moment my wife and I started discipling, started asking people to be with us, started training, we became judged more than I have ever been judged in my whole life. Sometimes I wish that God would have chose angels so that when it was 7 o'clock on a Wednesday for 201 discipleship class, here could come Gabriel. And he could just flutter his wings and just land in the middle of our Bible study. And everybody could just go, And then the perfect angel Gabriel could just tell us how to live for Jesus. And then when he was done, he could just go, 
and just ascend back to heaven. We can go, wow, I've got the best pastor. He is a perfect little angel. But how many people know God just uses people to disciple other people? But you know what? We've got to humble ourselves. You see, Jesus intended the tradition to keep going. He did not intend his disciples just to get it and say, okay, I'm the perfect disciple maker. So once I make you disciples, no more disciples get made because no one's going to be perfect in making disciples. No, Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to make disciples. Even though, Peter, you got mistakes and Thomas, you doubt sometimes and and, and Simon the Zealot, you want to still go out and have a revolution. I'm going to teach you, fellas, how to get out and make disciples. Somebody say he wants to use me. Look at him talking to the Jews which believed in him. A perfect contrast as the definitions we had before between being a believer and a disciple. Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him. So they believed. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my what? Disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Amen. So listen to what Jesus says. Okay, you all believe, but now hold to my teachings. Then you're a disciple. Do you see the contrast? You see, he's saying, okay, that's great you believe. Hand clap. You know, you're not an atheist. You actually believe when I raised the dead. I did that by God. And and that's what these Jews were seeing. And it took all that for them to believe. And he said, okay, you believe, but now hold to my teachings and be a disciple. Grab a hold of them. And then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let me ask you a question. Are you holding on to his teachings? Are you a disciple today? Have you been trained in his teachings? Because today, if you're not, all you are doing is just believing. God wants you to get trained. I want you to see this scripture in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. As we're looking at this scripture, would my ushers please hand out the scriptures I have on discipleship, please? Ish in the back and all them, please. At this point of the service, I'm going to hand you a paper... uh, uh, a worksheet that I made with over 20 scriptures that you're not going to hear most of them today, all on discipleship. And I'll need one up here as well. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. If you're there, can you say, I'm there? Look at what Paul tells Timothy. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to be taught so you can teach others? As you're getting these papers right now, I'm teaching you everything that I can. And I'll need one up here as well, please. Thank you, my brother. Hold on to them just for a second. Don't look at them quite yet, if you could, please. And look up here at the scripture of being trained. It says, what you heard, Timothy, now you teach others. So who did God intend? Point to the person that God intended to make disciples. Point to the person. Come on. Point to a person that you know that God has intended to make disciples. Us, you, me. If you and I can understand that Jesus Christ has came, came to this earth, raised up 12 disciples to make disciples, to make disciples, if we can get in this today, we are doing what Christ died for. 
He died so that you and I could live for Him. And Paul is saying, I'm keeping it going. So I want you to think about it now like it's a relay race. You know, you got one person running with the baton, and then all of a sudden he hands it to the next person, and then they run. They hand it to the next person. You see, Jesus came, and He's like, Peter, here's the gospel. Run with it. Peter starts running. Then he finds John Mark. He hands it to John Mark. John Mark starts running. Then he hands it to Tertullian, and then he starts running. Then Clement gets it, and it moves through the dark ages. It moves throughout the world. And today, Jesus Christ is the most popular name in the world. The Bible, the most read book. And the baton is right in front of you today. And Jesus Christ is asking you, will you run with the gospel? Will you run with the gospel? Man, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race marked before us with perseverance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our race, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and uh, verses 1 and 2, this is what it's saying. Heaven is watching you. Peter is watching you. People in heaven look over the banister of heaven. They see this earth, and they're saying, run. Run, young person. John is looking at Eddie and he's saying, man, if I was 16, and if I could run with the gospel, you can run. Get up and run, man. God has called you, and spread the word of God. Ten out of the eleven disciples died martyrs' death. They were put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. And even to this day, a hundred thousand Christians a year die of martyrdom. It's one of the signs of the end time in Matthew 24. Mostly in Muslim and communist nations right now. People are giving their life for Jesus. When Peter was being crucified, he said, I am not worthy to die like my Lord. Flip me upside down so that I can be different than him because I'm not worthy to die like him. We need to have the tenacity of these disciples that say, Jesus, train me so that I can train others and I give it by my life. Whether by life or by death, let your name be glorified. Can you all say amen? Did you all come to church today to get trained? If you did, say amen. We came here to carry the gospel fire. It's a revolutionary fire. It changes worlds. It changes society. Sure, there's been hypocrites in the church. Sure, there's churches out there today that don't do anything. But this man changed the world. And if you believe in him, we ought to live like him. Amen? That's a disciple. What you're holding right here is 20 scriptures on the subject of discipleship. Here's some training for you. Being a disciple is a command of Jesus, number one. Number two, the early church had the habit of following the apostles, imperfect people. Number three, God used people to mentor other people. That's how it works. It's not angels. It's people. Number four, Paul looked at these relationships like father and son. I thank God that my pastor mentored me and is still mentoring me. Some of you struggle with sin and can't get over some issues of your life. Some of those things will not come out until you get in mentorship, until somebody who knows more than you helps you. We're not meant to do it alone. Somehow we got this uh, Frank Sinatra spirit up in the church. I did it my way. That's not how it works in God's church. He uses people to help people. Amen? The Bible says in uh, number five, it's part of that discipleship involves discipline and correction. That means that sometimes we're wrong. It's good to be told that we're wrong. Number six, when people don't receive correction, they're to be avoided. The Bible actually talks about discipline. And then the Bible says, uh, number seven, uh, the Bible lists and honors those who are faithful disciples. I want you to look at this. I want you to listen to Paul talk right now. 
We're going through the book of Matthew. Jesus picks his first 12. By the way, we've only had four messages on the book of Matthew, and we're still like in, like in chapter 4. There's 28 chapters. Just imagine how long this is going to take. All of this is just in those few verses. Jesus called Peter, James, John, and Andrew. That's what we're getting out of this. Amen. Isn't God good? Watch this. Paul becomes a disciple. Now Paul is making disciples. Look at the end of Paul's life. He's an old man. Romans 16, 1 through 16. That's how I know there's no difference in gender here. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Caesarea. I ask that you receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Here's a woman of God, a leader in the church. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. That's a married couple. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. So these people opened up their home, let the church meet there. Greet my dear friend Epitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. So here's a guy that got saved in this area. The first one, he's saying, hey man, tell my soul what's up. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. There's a woman of God that worked hard for people. Greet Andodicus and Junius. That's another couple. My relatives who have been in prison with me, and they got locked up for Jesus. They are outstanding among the apostles. So these are apostles as well. These are other disciples making disciples. And they were in Christ before I was. So here's two disciples, a married couple that was actually Christians before Paul was. And he says, man, these guys are awesome. Look what else he says. Greet Amplititus, who I love in the Lord. By the way, don't quote me on how I'm saying these names. <laughs> I'm trying. Help me, Jesus. Greet Urbanus. Our fellow worker in Christ. He's a worker. Not my fellow listener who came to church every Sunday and just said, Amen, Pastor. Nothing wrong with saying Amen. But that's not what that person was known for. What they were known for, they were a worker in Christ. Can you say Amen? And my dear friend Tychus. Greet Apelles, Tested and approved in Christ. He's been tested. There's a man that's tested. He's been through some testing. He passed those tests. He's approved. You can trust him. Oh, man, I could just talk about being tested and approved. Woo! <laughs> I could just talk about how people want to give up the first time somebody don't like them. How they want to give up the first time something happens in their life. Here you look at this person right here. They were tested and approved. I pray for some Christians to become disciples tested and approved. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Aristobulus, is that close? Oh, Aristobulus. Here's another person that had a church in his house. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus. You know why they're saying the household? These are small groups. You know how we have small groups and homes? These are church leaders. They have them in their home. They're teaching people. He says, greet Typhronia and Typhrosa. Lord, help me. Those who work hard in the Lord. Here's some hard-working women. Here's Anida and, uh, and Annette. Amen? Anida and Annette. See, I can say those names. Then it says right here, greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me. See, we need mothers in the houses of God. See, we had some mothers come out here with us on Belmont and Clark yesterday. Some seasoned women of God, been saved 12, 20 years, went out with us last night. It was such a blessing. And that, they weren't only mothering the people out there. They were mothering Nancy and I in the back, just saying, oh, you bless us. You're so nice. We love you. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm at home with my mom now. Oh, I feel good. 
See, he said, oh, you, she's a mother, but she's a mother to me as well. Look at that. And then all these names, I'm not even going to try to pronounce now, and some more of all those names. And then in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. What's somebody going to write about you today? Greet Hosalita, because he works hard in the Lord, and he goes out witnessing on the street. He's getting trained, and he's tested and approved. Greet Ishmael, who started a church within his house and meets with them in the church on Tuesdays and makes disciples. Greet Louisa, who takes care of her family. He's not only mothered her children, but mothered the children of the church. Greet Ricky and Rachel, who have opened up their house and who are my fellow apostles in Christ. You see, they were trained to go out and make a difference. And their names were written down in that Bible as a reminder that it's just normal people, just everyday people, that you and I, like you and I, who can go out and make a difference. If you believe that, would you just stand up with me today and just thank the Lord for His love and for His grace upon us. Would you thank Him today? Come on, we thank you, Lord. God, we thank you that you called us even though we didn't deserve it. Man, come on up here. Give them one more hand clap of praise. God, we thank you. We didn't deserve it. We're not smart enough. We're not cute enough. But God, you see something in us. You see something in us that maybe others don't see. And sometimes we don't see it ourselves, oh God. But you see a plan, a purpose in us, oh Lord. You see a ministry in us. Oh God, when others saw a drug dealer, you saw a pastor, oh God. When others saw a lesbian, oh God, you saw a minister. Lord, when others saw God a prideful man, you saw a small group leader. When others saw a businessman, God, you saw a married couple to change the world they live in. God, we thank you that you got a plan for us. Hallelujah. Look at Matthew 28. The last thing is they were sent out. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Where did Jesus first meet them? At the shores of what? Galilee. Now they go back to Galilee. Three years have passed by. Jesus, by the way, was only 30 years old. Just a young man himself. After three years, one of them betrayed him. But they meet together now, 11 of them. There they are, 11 disciples. Not just 11 Christians, churchgoers. The 11 disciples. There's a fisherman there. There's that 16-year-old boy that's 19 now. There's a zealot, a revolutionary. There's... That young man that was brother to John, James, they go to the mountain where Jesus had told them. When they saw them, they worshipped him, but even still some doubted. So it shows you disciples aren't perfect. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make big churches. Is that what he said? Therefore, go and become of churches that just talk about having money all the time. Is that what he said? Nothing wrong with money, but what did he put there? Therefore, go and what? Come on, say it again. Therefore, go and what? Make disciples of all nations. We got nations up in here. We got nations in this city that need to be discipled. Jesus said to 11 disciples, go make disciples. I'm not saying that I'm the smartest one of the bunch, but I think I ought to be a disciple. I can figure that out. And then I think my job ought to be to make disciples. You know what happens in there? I change. God deals with attitudes. He brings me my wife. One day we're going to have children, little Joe Jr. 
You know, we want 12, by the way. We just like that number, so we're going to have 12 children. Pray for us. But guess what? All of that follows because we got the vision. You're all listening? See, the church has got to get back in order. There's nothing wrong with being prosperous. There's nothing wrong with you, you know, today giving tithes and offering. That's why we put prayer requests on there and saying, Lord, bless me in my house. So there's nothing wrong with that. But what's the vision? Why does God want to bless you and your household? So you can be a disciple that makes disciples. You see? Why does God want you to go to Columbia and make movies? To be a disciple that makes disciples. Why does God want to bless your business? So you can be a disciple that makes disciples. That's what it's all about. You see, Jesus loves this world. And he loves us. And I want to tell you something. Being disciple, I have got free from so much junk. When I first got saved, I used to have fears. And I told you some of those fears. But one of the fears that I had was the fear of being alone. Because when I was a 16-year-old kid, I dropped out of high school and started doing drugs. And you see, they say when you do drugs, your mentality is hindered and your, and your growth is hindered. So when I got off drugs at 18 years old, I was still a little kid. And I had hidden all of the problems in my life. And when I got saved, I began to have fears. I began to have thoughts of doubts. I began to feel like, man, what if, what if I can't make it in life? What if I'm not good enough? I don't feel smart. And you know what? I thank God that there was a pastor in my life. I began to say, Joe, what are you dealing with? And I deal with fears. He discipled me. He said, brother, let's start praying together. Here's some scriptures. I'll never forget it. He gave me 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For the Lord has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That man who brought me that scripture after me only being saved a month was like Angel Gabriel to me. It was like a man sent from heaven. Discipleship makes a difference. Most of you are here today because someone knows your name, brought you here, going out today and hanging out with them. That's what it's about. I want you to see the end of the scripture. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. And teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. You see how it ends with Jesus? Jesus is saying, okay guys, I was with you 12 years. Now go be disciples that make disciples and teach them everything. I'm starting it right now. I'm a disciple. I've been made a disciple. I've been sent out here. I've been appointed. I've been anointed. God has brought me here. And I'm asking you, can I teach you everything about Jesus that's in this Word? Man, I may not be perfect yet. I may just be like you trying to get through the thing. But can we go through the book of Matthew together and start learning everything Jesus taught? Amen? And then can you do God a favor and bless His name? And then can you go out and tell somebody everything you've been taught? That's the gospel message. Let's bow our head and close our eyes tonight.